today it's the fall of X. An era that has dominated the X-Men in recent years is coming to an end. And as the curtains prepare to close, we look at Marvel's mission statement for the X-Men and how it has shifted over time. I'll take you behind the scenes, sharing the events that led up to the dramatic shift in the Marvel mutant verse as we look forward to and ponder what comes next for the children of the atom on an all new episode of Observation. Hey everybody and welcome to another edition of Observations. I am your host Rob Liefeld. I have made my career three decades plus eight years, 38 years making comics, producing comics, writing comics, drawing comics and now for the last three years and and this is our 302nd episode talking comics on observations, we talk about the impact of comics across the culture, which is so obvious. The movies and the and the streaming shows, the television, the the video games, the toys, all of that is so obvious. I, I watched comics grow from the dawn of a very early time uh, of, of of Marvel comics, and 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 it was nothing what it is today. And I am able to take you behind the curtains, starting in 1974. Uh, walking you through the way comics have grown before my eyes and not just as a fan, but as a professional. And one of my absolute all-time favorite franchises, maybe the most important comic book title, family of characters, uh, a, a book that has a great history, and I am fortunate to have a great history with this franchise, is the X-Men. The X-Men franchise is just a phenomenon in comic books. Once the new X-Men was relaunched in 1975, because we're going to reference this book a couple times today, Giant Size X-Men, April 1975, with its bold new lineup, Colossus, Storm, Nightcrawler, Wolverine, Thunderbird, Banshee, Sunfire. They are assembled by Charles Xavier to save his original Team of Mutants, Cyclops, Marvel Girl, Iceman, Angel, and Beast uh, from, from an island, a living island that is holding them hostage that they've been abandoned on called Krakoa. This uh, th- this book is, is so seminal. The values on this book continue to rise exponentially. I mean, just e- each and every show you go to, Giant Size X-Men, Raw, Giant Size X-Men in a high uh, grade continue to appreciate for a reason. Those characters matter. Those characters resonate. They still have tremendous impact to this day, to this very moment. There have been many, many reboots of the X-Men since Giant Size X-Men number one, but none of them as foundationally impactful. And and, and there are a lot of fun ones and some incredibly talented guys with some big swings and some big efforts. The swing and the effort that we're going to talk about today is one that is, is coming to a close and I have waited all this time to discuss it. Uh, it, it started with a an event called House of X, and 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 it is wrapping up now, currently, with an event called Fall of X, which is going to propel them out of what we can call the Krakoa era. And I am so excited to talk to you about this today. Uh, first and foremost, I'm not a fan. I, I have not been a fan of this era. In any way, shape, or form, you cannot catch me talking about it um, with any manner of enthusiasm, primarily because 
I have uh, been very distant from it. Uh, it. It's not that I haven't checked it out. It's not that I don't have key issues. It's just I have been very passive in my interaction. And I have kind of been waiting to see how it's all going to play out. And it appears that the play out of this is pivoting towards an all new direction coming in 2024. And it starts with an event that was released last week called Fall of X. So we have to kind of go behind the curtains. There's going to be a lot of going behind the curtains. At the 348 mark, I can tell you, there is going to be a lot of going behind the curtains today on the events that led up to House of X and and now its eventual uh, closure, the closure of this four years of the X-Men. And I'll tell you why I never much cared for it. And it doesn't have to do with the specific talents. So many talents. I'm a fan of talent. I'm a fan of artists and writers and, and colorists and, and great cover artists. And Lord knows this book has, also, has had all of those during this period. But you can bump into an era that just doesn't you know, really feed your interface, your personal interface. And for me, with House of X, it's an overarching, a, a, a really a broad idea of a fundamental change to the X-Men that I just wasn't on board for. And I'm going to discuss that with you today. And I know that this is 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 uh, a, a, an era that has a tremendous fan base. So by even discussing it, I'm, 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 you know, stirring the hornet's nest, but I'm going to, I'm going to hopefully uh, introduce you to some new, uh, kind of behind the scenes, uh, behind the scenes origins of this entire thing. That's really, it's behind the scenes origins of how you came to hold this in the first place. Maybe, maybe some little innuendo and some agendas that were implanted throughout the entire run. But uh, that's it today. It is fall of X and I I am so excited to to deep dive right into this with you. From from the very beginning of the X-Men, the concept was, was simple. There was a man named Charles Xavier, Professor X, who was offering shelter to his quote-unquote students, mutants, uh, per se, who felt like outcast freaks that were they, they felt rejected by society. Their parents would freak out when they sprouted wings or had giant feet or could read minds, and they would uh, deliver them to Charles Xavier, who would train them to better hone their powers, and who better than one of the world's most powerful telekinetic telepathic minds? And, and he was able to, uh, you know, instruct them on the best ways that they could utilize not only their powers, but serve humanity. Now, let me tell you something. There is a slug line for the X-Men. It was in years and years and years of their books. It was a time and a period that Marvel put slug lines. I've gathered some of these comics, and I'm going I'm to give you an example. I'm going to tell you the, the X-Men's slug line, and then I'm going to tell you the Avengers, the Fantastic Four, and the Hulk. Those are some that I grabbed off of my spinner rack. So this is 1979 in the middle, in the deep in the heart of one of the most celebrated X-Men storylines ever, the, the, the Dark Phoenix Saga. This is the slug line from uh, Uncanny X-Men 134. Black Queen, White Queen, Hellfire Club, Dark Phoenix, all of this is, is, is coming together. Uh, at the top of each and every Marvel comic, there was the slug line. This slug line said... Cyclops, Storm, Nightcrawler, Wolverine, Colossus, Children of the Atom, Students of Charles Xavier, Mutants, feared and hated by the world they have sworn to protect. These are the strangest heroes of all. 
The Uncanny X-Men. It actually says Stan Lee presents The Uncanny X-Men. So there you have it. The Roll Call, Cyclops, Storm, Nightcrawler, all of them. But then it says Children of the Atom. Students of Charles Xavier. Students. Mutants. Feared and hated by the world they have sworn to protect. That is the X-Men concept that I bought into 100%. That is the X-Men concept that powered this franchise. Uh, it, it exploded uh, under John Byrne. It thrived when Dave Cockrum came back for his second session. It even went higher with the illustrious Paul Smith adding his uh, v- very considerable talents from the animation uh, world to his year-long uh, run that just had fanboys like myself just all all in an absolute slather. It it was strong enough to carry through the Romita Jr. Uh, period to then the exceptional Mark Silvestri era and Jim Lee and the Cuberts and beyond. And this is the concept that you, you watched on the X-Men animated series. This is the same approach. Hated and feared by, by those they have sworn to protect humanity. That was their goal. That was the conceit. That, that's what made them different from, let's say, the Avengers. Look at, let's look at the Avengers slug line. The Avengers, this is from 1977. This is Avengers 165, also drawn by John Byrne, this particular issue. Their slug line said, And there came a day when Earth's mightiest heroes found themselves united against a common threat. On that day, the Avengers were born to fight the foes no single superhero could withstand. Stanley presents the mighty Avengers. Earth's Mightiest Heroes. That, that's really kind of the most key phrase there. And they came together against a common threat. They, they, are, they exist to battle foes that no single superhero could withstand. Say you're Superman. I'm, I'm, say you're Spider-Man. You're, you're, uh, you know, you're at the time Nova, Ms. Marvel, Captain America on his own, Iron Man on his own. Here's the Fantastic Four slug line. Again, all of these um, just brilliantly displayed at the top of each and every Marvel Comics splash page. Here's a Fantastic Four from 1978. A brilliant scientist, his best friend, the woman he loves, and her fiery-tempered kid brother. Together, they braved the unknown terrors of outer space and were changed by cosmic rays into something more than merely human. Mr. Fantastic, the Thing, the Invisible Girl, the Human Torch. Now, they are the Fantastic Four, and the world will never be the same again. Tells you right there that, that they were explorers, and changed forever by cosmic rays in outer space. Boom, the slug line. The Fantastic Four are a family. It, it, it says a man, his his best friend, his lover, her brother. It's a family. This is a family book. They have extraordinary powers. They do extraordinary things. Finally, let's, let's uh, end with the Hulk. This is a Hulk from uh, 1978. Caught in the heart of a nuclear explosion. Victims of gamma radiation gone wild. Dr. Robert Bruce Banner now finds himself transformed in times of stress into a seven foot, 1,000 pound unfettered fury, the most powerful creature to ever walk the earth. Stanley presents the Incredible Hulk. So much of these conceits are the same today. Okay. Now I'll give you, there's an error where the thing leaves in 1984 and, and he leaves the Fantastic Four book and he's replaced by She-Hulk. He had been replaced a few times prior, but this was a really permanent time. During that period, I have friends who stopped reading the Fantastic Four. They, they didn't matter. They loved John Byrne. They, they thought She-Hulk was intriguing, but they didn't like it. They didn't like that the Fantastic Four was no longer uh, with the Thing in the lineup and that it was now the She-Hulk. It, it, it broke apart 
the family aspect that they love so much. And even though John Byrne went to great lengths to make She-Hulk our new audience surrogate, a, a, a term you're going to hear a lot today because it's important. And it really applies to so much of what we're going to discuss and 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 how uh, how the audience surrogate can 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 really determine our outlook. But She-Hulk had become the new audience surrogate, walking among the Fantastic Four, Reed Richards, Sue, Sue Richards, you know, uh, Johnny Johnny Storm, and just how she interacted with them. Uh, many of the threats that, that that they were familiar with, she encountered for the first time. So we saw through her eyes how she viewed those things. It was it was it was a lot of fun. But I know people who are like, ah, that's not my Fantastic Four. I didn't I didn't follow that during the She-Hulk era because it no longer had thing. Sometimes you just get off the train. Sometimes you just get off and you sit something out knowing that you will check out the next iteration. You will check out the next, uh, you know, opportunity that presents itself to enjoy said concept, even though it's not going in the direction maybe that you wanted it to go in at that time, or maybe it's unseated you like with, uh, with surprise or dissatisfaction. So, so that is an example of how I view what happened when the X-Men transitioned into this House of X era, away from the X-Men era that I had known and loved my entire life. So much of what I found relatable about the X-Men in my teen years as I was going through my own angst, and I've shared on different podcasts, past episodes, that the characters that I most uh, related to in the comic book world, and, and most of them were Marvel, but they were the characters with with uh, anger, rage, it started with the thing. I liked him. He had kind of a hot temper. Then Luke Cage, Power Man. Oh, I liked him. He had a hot temper. Hercules, uh, you know, the the the, the Olympian god, the, the son of Zeus. Oh, I liked him. He had a much hotter temper than Thor, and and was all, it was always on display in many of his, uh, his 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 different appearances. And as I as I shared with you guys, he became the the, the lead character in a team book called the Champions. And again, always a bit of a hothead, a little bit irrational which is you know what the hormones do to you when you're a teenager and you're struggling and then wolverine just matured into the most angsty of all the x-men he was in love with gene gray who was you know in a relationship with scott summers but but couldn't figure out why maybe this this logan character was 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 catching her eye and catching her attention and there was implications of 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 really uh uh a romantic triangle as Scott couldn't figure out why Gene wanted to give Wolverine the time of day. Wolverine and Logan would, would, would eventually move on and, uh, and, and fall in love with Mariko, um, or Mariko and, uh, get, get involved in all that, get engaged, the Yakuza, so many of the events of the epic, uh, Wolverine miniseries as told by Frank Miller and Chris Claremont. And then the, 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 the wedding episode, uh, continued during the Paul Smith run. I was able to mature alongside Wolverine and, and kind of, as he calmed down, I calmed down. But in, the, in those heydays of, of the burn and the second Cockrum run, I just really related to him. He he was smaller than everybody else. He wasn't really fulfilling. He, he wasn't who he wanted to be. And every teenager feels like they're not who they want to be. Nightcrawler, the same. I couldn't really relate to being blue, but I got it. I got that he didn't like being blue and he also felt outcast. Uh Cyclops was burdened with leading this this team of of really misfits and all of their isms, their 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 um, idiosyncrasies, their 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 uh, just so much of what all made them different and strange. And then there was Professor Exec, uh, uh, 
Professor Exec, Professor Xavier, who would be monitoring all of it when he was around. Sometimes he was off with the Shi'ar Empire up in space. But they were always the most grounded, the most relatable to me because of how they felt. And 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 then you would always have characters come in and say, you know, you're a freak, you're a reject, you're 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 an outcast. And it would only underscore the fact that they had to stay hidden away because their powers were what scared people, that they could just naturally uh exhibit these incredible powers and abilities and and that 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 the, that set them apart you know thor was a god iron iron tony stark made his own technology captain america was the was a byproduct of this of this you know scientific super serum but mutants and i've heard stanley you know say before that he and jack had had talked about well what about just natural mutations and that became the concept of the x-men and the school uh, that housed them was the uh you know was was really the story aspect that set it apart it wasn't just a team headquarters it was a school there was instruction i'm going to tell you i i i mentioned it before but the 2000 x-men movie uh that introduced us to the cinematic x-men that we 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 still know and many of us love uh especially hugh jackman hugh jackman was the audience surrogate getting back to the audience surrogate in that movie his introduction was was an out, outsider uh he's alone He's cage fighting. He's he's you know restless, bitter, angry, and then he is saved from a conflict by the arrival of the X Men, who then take him to the school. Now at this time, Harry Potter was all the rage. I'm not drawing comparisons. I'm just telling you in the in the uh, in the com- in the book community, the movies hadn't arrived yet, but the books, the Harry Potter books, the 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 late '90s, those book releases were giant events. Uh, hundreds, sometimes thousands of kids showed up at the Barnes and Noble, the Borders books uh, chains when they existed, to get these books. And the idea of a school for wizards and and a school for for young sorcerers and and put in different houses. I had been following that phenomenon as a book, and of course, the it was so popular it it, it got the giant film, uh, you know, treatment, dedication, priority, and and really became a seminal library of films for warner brothers that that apparently they're now going to tap back into and make it a streaming uh, a streaming show show so so the harry potter aspect was big in the community but x-men beat uh harry potter to to the screen and it was the first time that i went this is totally going to work with a slightly disheveled logan played by hugh jackman wandering the halls of this school and we see students and they have notebooks and backpacks and they're going to class and you see the the basketball court you see the different classrooms you see where they eat uh you, you're you're they're coming up and down the steps of the school and and logan is we're seeing it through his eyes experiencing the school through his eyes and i remember watching it for the first time going this is brilliant this is going to be my neighbor and my family members who who have never read an x-men comic walking through the school with hugh jackman who we've already liked He's in a tough spot. He was saved. He's already got the charisma, the mystery. But now he's like, what is this place? And who are these people? And for me, in that early, whatever the 35, 40-minute market it's at, uh, when that occurs and it's pulled off so brilliantly and then you see that the basketball court unfolds and there's a giant, you know, hanger below and, and the blackbird, you know, takes off. Just all of that, the school uniforms, 
again, the black and yellow, and, and remember, that, remember, and it's even more funny now knowing that uh, from all the the official photo- Ryan Reynolds released an official photo earlier this summer, maybe the the picture of the summer. Uh, some would say Barbie. I would say they compete with each other. It's, it's it's the summer of Barbie, and the Ryan Reynolds released Deadpool, uh, Wolverine, and his yellow and blue uh, set photo. Those are like the two images right now I have of of summer of 2023. That 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 crack that you know they made when they got on the Blackbird and they were in their black and leather suits and they're like, you didn't expect these to be, you know, they didn't expect these to be uh, yellow and blue, did you? Um, yellow and blue spandex or whatever it, it, it's a line that reflects that but it's it's you know now funny 20 it'll be 24 years later it looks like that we'll actually be seeing that but wolverine as the audience surrogate seeing this very powerful group of 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 mutant uh powered people and you know wolverine felt slightly out of place but he was immediately uh, attracted to Jean gray you had you had cyclops who who, who already had one eye raised kind of Hey, what's going on here? Xavier is recognizing the importance of Logan in the grand scheme of things and, and bringing him over to their side and also realizing that there was a opposite viewpoint held by Magneto, his Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, with Toad and Sabretooth, Mystique. I mean, all of these different, uh, just just con- very, very, very black and white. It was very black and white. We are trying to use our powers for good and help mankind, and Magneto wants to oppress mankind. And that has always been Magneto's uh, credo as far back as he was, you know, when he was first introduced in the same issue that we met all the X-Men, X-Men number one. And he only leaned more into that when the X-Men was exploding in my youth with the John Byrne, Terry Austin run and everything that followed. He wanted to bring mankind to its knees. He wanted to punish them. They 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 gave more into his backstory, which the films would... Uh, shine a light on with the first class uh, with the first class film and going further back into his past and and the uh, oppression of the Jews and 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 the Nazis and and just just it, you know it was reflective of a, of a great Claremont and and, and uh, Dave Cockrum episode that showed Xavier and Magneto in their early days pre Brotherhood of Evil Mutants pre uh, you know Xavier school and then battling hydra and nazis and just just a fantastic uh enlighten uh, an issue that really enlightened their relationship their origins their motivations and again it, it would spill over as the movies continue to build out for the record i think x-men first class i think uh the the original x-men x2 and i think x-men Fu- days of future past are standouts they're fantastic films i find them infinitely watchable i think they hold up especially given now that they're two decades old in most cases and and it's interesting because where Wolverine was the audience surrogate for us in the movie with Hugh Jackman, and we discovered the, the X-Men through his eyes and learned to trust them. Uh, in the comic books, it had been Kitty Pride During the John Byrne, Terry Austin, Chris Claremont run, they introduced Kitty Pride, who was the new school, uh, the, 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 new, the new student that was introduced into the class. And for years, she was our audience surrogate. I remember it very powerfully, uh, even through the, uh, Paul Smith issues where you get the classic splash page, you know, Professor X is a jerk. Big splash page with her whipping around and pointing and looking right at us and telling us as well as her her fellow X-Men who she's addressing as we find out on the next page. Kitty Pride was for so many years the audience surrogate. We were now seeing the X-Men, how they had grown, matured, changed, 
through her eyes, her interactions with Wolverine, who was tender towards her, her interaction with Colossus, who was slightly older than she was, but she, you know, fell in love. He captured her heart, her, um, her uncomfortability at first with, with certain other members, whether it was Storm, intimidated by, Nightcrawler, uncertain of. She was our audience surrogate. And shortly after being introduced, she was our audience surrogate for Days of Future Past. We saw that entire two-issue epic, X-Men 141-142, we saw through Kitty Pride's eyes. And it was uh, this incredible time travel story where she reaches back to try and save... Uh, the X-Men in the present for what's going to become of the future, which is where we meet her on the front, on the very first page of X-Men 141 as she is uh, acting as a courier. She is assaulted. She is saved by an older Wolverine who has stayed out of the mutant uh, mutant camps that, that they are all now held in as they have been uh, oppressed by the government who enacted these, you know, super sentinels to wipe out mankind, uh, wipe out mutant kind and subjugate them. So therefore, really, you know, the prophecy of what Magneto had feared had come to pass. And we as readers were like, oh boy, things are going to get tough. And the brilliant of that, that incredible two-parter, which today would probably be stretched out to eight, nine parts, way too, too, too much. I mean, it was so brilliant, just condensed 40 pages was that they appeared to have solved the problem in the present, but it took a different wrinkle and you saw that there was no really changing this terrible future that awaited them. But Kitty Pride was our eyes and ears through that story. And that's how we saw that story in the movie wisely. Again, you've got Hugh Jackman. He's becoming the biggest star of the franchise. They pivoted away. We're not going to make Kitty Pride, Kate Pride, our focal point, our audience surrogate. We're going to do that this time with Logan. And I think they made it work fantastically. And this time it was he who was transported to the past and got to see everything and got to see how maybe irrationally everyone was acting from the future to the past to, to, to change, you know, the present even so much so that in the, I believe it was the the closing credits of Logan, you know, you've got that tag where Xavier is contacting Logan and saying, we need your help. So Logan became the audience surrogate. And again, if you're Hollywood, it's, it's a no doubt. You use your biggest star of the franchise. You reshift all of the Kitty Pride stuff to and, and format it through Wolverine. And that was the biggest single change of the movie. And I don't think the movie suffered for it uh, because I really think that movie is, is a top, top two film in the, in the X-Men cinematic universe. And it had great source material. It had really, really strong work to adapt itself from, but they did. They shifted the perspective. But again, it's always hated and feared by those who they've been sworn, they are sworn to protect. Ironically, a uh, a funny a funny story about audience surrogate and, and seeing stories through certain characters. I, I got to share this because it was the first time someone had said audience surrogate to me multiple times. And it was no less than, wait for it, the, the man who played the demon in the rock group Kiss, you know him as none other than, than Gene Simmons from Kiss. So let, let me let me set the stage for for where I encountered Gene Simmons and where and where this all plays out because there's a, there's a little bit of comic book history in in, in this is uh, Jeff Loeb Joseph Loeb the third M- many of you know as the the author of the Long Halloween Dark Victory uh, you know Spider Man Blue Daredevil Yellow all these amazing books the, the Red Hulk Joseph Loeb as I love to call him. 
but Jeff Jeff Loeb was throwing himself a birthday party. He was having a birthday party in his home in, I'm pretty sure it was Beverly Hills. I do not remember the exact uh, age he was turning or which birthday he was celebrating, but it was, it was a birthday party. He had invited his actor friends, his writer friends, his producer friends, and then his comic book friends. And lo and behold, here comes Gene Simmons and his beautiful wife, uh, Shannon Tweed, who I had grown up watching on Days of Our Lives. But I'm like, hey, this party just got more interesting. <laughs> And uh, lo and behold, I would make my way over. I would introduce myself to Gene Simmons. Look, I grew up hiding those Kiss albums from my parents. I've mentioned it on several different podcasts, how when you were growing up as a uh, Baptist minister's son, very strict, pretty strict household, pretty strict in in many ways and and less so in others. My my parents loved to watch TV. And and again, I I told you my dad drove me two cities away to see Star Wars and Superman because he couldn't be seen at a movie theater. What? Because I guess guess people were worshiping Satan at the movie theaters. But uh, Kings in Satan's service was the rumored you know, meaning behind the, the, the band's Kiss. My sister liked Kiss. I love Kiss. I love the visuals of Kiss. And I bought singles with their artwork on it when they would sell little, you know, uh, 45 uh, LP singles. For, for those of you who aren't aware of those, there were, there were these things called record stores. And you would go in them and you could buy the album or the single. Obviously, the album was more expensive. And the singles was what the charts were based on, the top 100. There was the album charts and then the, 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 always the top 100 countdown, whether it was Casey Kasem or Rick D. Some of you uh, know that from Ryan Seacrest now, who I know, I think, believe he, he still does it. But uh, you bought singles. So I, I had had some of the singles because they had the cool images. I couldn't afford the albums and the albums were harder to hide. My sister had them on 8-track tapes because we would listen to and also now I'm, I'm, I'm segueing to Google eight track tapes. I we 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 only have a limited amount of time here, but my sister had them in eight track tapes, and uh, and and I got them off singles. But I loved Kiss, and everybody's favorite. Come on, was the Demon, and and here he is, Gene Simmons, the forbidden, my 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 my, my the, the forbidden, you know, rock and roll group of my of of my of my childhood of my youth. Everybody still loved Kiss. Everybody still, but but you know they had been going back and forth with the makeup and 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 not with the makeup. And I would eventually, Gene Simmons gave me third row seats at Dodger Stadium to to, to see him and, and the boys just crush it. Uh, shortly shortly after this, but I am hanging out with Gene, so excited. I know Gene's already been in the comics world. He's done his Marvel comics adaptation in the '70s where they put their blood in the ink and got a whole ton of ink out of that one. A lot of, a lot of press, a lot of newspaper, a lot of, a lot of radio, a lot of television coverage that Marvel Comics had printed the book using um, blood that they had all drawn from each band member and mixing it in with ink. It was one of the best stunts ever. Uh, then he had done his Psycho Circus books through McFarlane with, with, with Todd for much of the eighties. And, and for whatever reason, I, I, he, he had pulled out of a contract with Todd and I, I think he was going with dark horse at this point. It doesn't really matter. We're chatting. And then Gene dressed all in black, cool, um, you know, sunglasses at night. Gene definitely wears his sunglasses at night. Uh, and this is before all of his reality show stuff. This is 1999. I can, I can actually tell you it's G, G, uh, January 29th. That's going to play directly into this story. Because Jeff's got music playing, people are dancing. He's cleared the 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 family room. The, it's it's just a really a great 
fantastic party. Jeff Loeb, great party. Joy and I loved attending. But this Gene Simmons story is a hoot. And he says, Rob, because he talks very proper <clears throat> and very commanding. Rob, would, would you care to, to step outside and we can continue our conversation? Uh, I, I, I've got a bit of an office set up in my car. And I'm like, office in your car? Cool, let's do it. So now I'm walking out to, uh, it, it, it feels like it was an Escalade. Uh, maybe it was a Bronco, but it was a giant, like, you know, uh, one of those giant, you know, four-wheel, uh, you know, m- mobile houses that we were all carrying our kids around in the early 2000s. But uh, really nice, tricked out. I open up the, the the passenger side. I get in the car with Gene. The, the car's parked in, in Jeff's uh, driveway. And he does indeed have like a little... Like a like what what's the equivalent of like a an elementary school desk in in the in between the seats? Uh, he he's changed that entire compartment. It's like th- there was a desk that he could prop up a uh, 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 wooden board, and then he had like little little you know pens and and stuff. And he's like, this is where I you know do a lot of my work when I'm on the road, and and this is for my pens, my my pads, and this is where I write a lot of notes and music and great. Awesome. We're having a talk. He's like, <clears throat> I'd, I'd like to uh, maybe talk about a project that we could do together. And I said, well, that, that would be great. I, you know, Gene, I'm a huge fan. I, I'm, I'm aware of the, 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 you know, massive impact of your talent across all these decades. And he was very polite, very amused. And, uh, and, and he, he talked to me about a screenplay that I had just sold called The Mark. And that was just really just a year out that that had occurred in 1998 was when that sale was finalized and announced. And so he's like, why don't you come to my house tomorrow? And I said, I would love to come to your house tomorrow, but 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 the, the Rams are playing in the Super Bowl tomorrow. And he goes, come watch the Super Bowl at my house. I'd love to have you. Please watch. I said, Gene, I got a house full of fans. I'm a Rams fan my whole life. I got I got 10 other families. They're coming. He goes, bring everybody. Bring everyone to my house. We can watch the Super Bowl. You and I can talk business. I said, Gene, I'm not going to your house tomorrow. I'm going to my house. I'm staying at my house. I am watching the Rams play the Titans for, you know, what will hopefully be their first Super Bowl win. He said, you can come to my house. He kind of was, it was almost like, you know, he was asserting this is the path that I should follow. And I said, Gene, I, I can't. It's too late. It's it's nine nine thirty the night before. Uh, people are coming. I can't reroute it. Just I I got to I got to not do this tomorrow. I can't come see you tomorrow. He goes all right, all right. I, I could sense just slight frustration, and I will always wonder what it would have been like watching you know the Super Bowl at Gene Simmons' house. I mean, hot damn! But uh, we rescheduled for the Monday after, so the day after Super Bowl. So now I've got to go up to LA meet with Gene Simmons, who I love, adore, idolize, but it may be on the back. <laughs> of a Rams Super Bowl loss, okay? But anyway, I go there. I go visit Gene at 11 a.m. on the Monday after. So so it's January 31st or February 1st because the actual Super Bowl was uh, January 30th. So I am up at Loeb's the night before the 29th. So either 31st, the 1st, whatever, I go, I see Gene. Uh, Shannon Tweed answers the door. I go inside. Gene immediately says, let's go down basically to what is his museum. We go down, it's it's kind of a basement level, but it is a tricked out freaking KISS museum. And all I will say is that every single item ever made uh, w- with them is in a display case, in shelves, in drawers. He takes me on this entire in- incredible, you know, 
tour of, 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 of all of these collectibles. And he tells me how much, you know, authority he wields over the band and that he and Paul make all the decisions. And this is reminiscent of the, the, the greatest rock and roll documentary you're ever going to see. It was on Showtime about a decade ago. It was the, the Eagles. So it's not the, the kiss, but they, Glenn Fry and Don Henley talked exactly how Gene and Paul, Paul Stanley talked. And it's, Hey, it's our way or the highway. Gene and, and Paul made the decisions and, and Glenn and Don, they said, it's not a democracy. Everybody, every vote isn't, isn't, you know, isn't equal. And he said, Paul and I called the shots, but most of the licensing and merchandising have been, have been under my, you know, direction. And this is why we were able to do so many special things and have so many amazing, and he, and he, and he, and he brought me back, the, he brought me out these steel books and anything. What does this have to do with the X-Men? You're, you're thinking right now. Well, during this time, he tells me, he said, Rob, I've, I've done some calling around. I, I, I did some follow-up on your script. And, and he's like, I would love to do some work with you. Uh, maybe find a movie project. And he says, Rob, I have the rights. I have the option currently on The Inhumans. And I'm like, wow, this is cool. I did not expect to hear that Marvel's Inhumans was something that Gene Simmons was had optioned to produce and make uh, as a movie. And he said, Rob, it's really simple. It's like the Little Mermaid crystal. Crystal of the Inhumans is our audience surrogate. She doesn't want to live in the hidden refuge anymore. And she makes her way to Manhattan, to, to New York City. She wants to walk among the humans. She wants to be away from the royal family. And of course, that puts her in danger. And at the same time, signals that the royal family will have to come to New York City and find her. And can you imagine Lockjaw lock on, on, on Fifth Avenue? And I'm like, this is badass. I, I loved it. Crystal as the audience surrogate is perfect. He got it. He understood it. Crystal as the audience surrogate introducing the humans to the audience, the royal family, you know, and the, I, I get it that always the fish out of water, the little mermaid aspect, splash, all, all of those allegories immediately sprung to mind. But Gene was adamant that Crystal being the audience surrogate was what would, you know, draw everybody in. And to this day, I am sorry that that version of the Inhumans did not get made, did not see the light of day. Because as Gene pitched it to me at that time, I was in Hook, line, sinker. I'm a giant Inhumans fan. Giant Inhumans. One of my um, most favorite franchises after the X-Men. Case in point, I bought my own retailer variant. I bought my own retailer variant to do X-Men Inhumans and draw them all together on X-Men Inhumans number one, which may have come out in 2016. Uh, but th th that's how far in. When I tell you I like something, I can back it up with so many of the financial decisions that I've made. But so... Audience surrogates matter. So there you got it straight from the demon himself, uh, the, the mastermind behind Kiss, and that visit to his house was fantastic. And I cannot honestly believe I have never mentioned it before, but I am sorry I did not, I was not budging on that Super Bowl. Like I'm not coming to your house to watch the Super Bowl. That is too personal. I had to do it. But the next day, got all this science dropped on me from no less than Gene Simmons. Audience surrogates matter. Hated and feared by those they've sworn to protect was the mantra of the X-Men for so, so, so many years. And then suddenly it shifted, it changed. And and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna share with you uh the last line, and it seemed to excite all manner of people, and to me it signaled why I would not be along on this particular journey with uh th this this Krakoa era, the the House of X era. 
And look, early on in the House of X, they're showing you. They're, they are absolutely showing you that they are, uh, you know, resurrecting bodies. It's House of X number one, written by Jonathan Hickman, drawn by Pepe Larraz, uh, brilliant, uh, just production color work all around. It tells uh, this nonlinear kind of story sequence of how things are changing. Um, and, and, and by the end of the issue it lands on this one line that that closes the first issue now these were being released every other week it was house of x and then i guess it was called power of 10 although many people look at it and see power of x but it was power of 10 according to marvel and house of x and they would reset everything and by the end of these two miniseries they launched the new x-men and it was out and and it was among us right prior to the pandemic shutting down life as we knew it for for the better part of a year and a half the last page of uh <clears throat> of of the the house of x uh, last page of house of x number one uh <clears throat> there is a uh magneto is talking to a group of delegates and they are clearly intimidated and scared by him because he is asserting a power over them that they are not uh comfortable with and one of the delegates says, delegate says, "Do you know what you sound like?" This is the page before the last page, and Magneto says to him, "He says I do," and it feels good to finally say it because he's he's asserting himself, and um and the delegate says, "So you summoned us here to Jerusalem to threaten us," and Magneto says, "This is the last page. A promise is not a threat, ambassador." And I summoned you to this place for wholly superficial reasons. He says, you see, I know you, you see, I know how you humans love your symbolism almost as much as you love your religion. And I wanted you, I needed you to understand. And he looks over his shoulder and this is the last shot of issue one. And this is where it signaled to me that I would not be along for this ride. He says, you have new gods now. You have new gods now. New gods. Did, did you take it as it was intended? Did you take it on the surface? Did you, did you know to look deeper? So did you know uh, in the mid-2000s, so, so we're going we're gonna to end this part one of Fall of X with kind of a, a behind the scenes of the road that left led to all of this. House of X, Power of Ten, and this reboot that we've been in for the last four years. That they are currently exiting given this... this uh, latest fall of X that was just released just within days of this podcast. So Jonathan Hickman had emerged as one of the buzzy writers at, at Marvel in the mid two thousands, having done a run on the fantasy four that got a lot of acclaim, having done a run on Avengers that had gotten a lot of acclaim. Uh, there are dedicated, I would say almost cult level fans of both of those. Uh, I, I, I recognize the source in the Fantastic Four from the very first page, and I acknowledge that Jonathan Hickman, like so many of us, worship at the altar of Alan Moore, who is probably the biggest superstar writer of all time. The Alan Moore is the biggest uh, rock star name as writer ever. Uh, contenders underneath him, especially in the last 20 years, would be at least for a solid decade. Mark Miller, uh, there is Robert Kirkman, uh, guys who became like bigger than just writers. They became just superstar talents in our field. Um, lo, lo, uh, and, and Chris Claremont, excuse me, Chris Claremont, th that is your lock four. 
That that is your luck. And they're like, Rob, what about Stan Lee? Stan Lee was not writing anything memorable from the minute that I got into the comics in 1974. The only comic that Stan Lee wrote during that time, the only comic in my childhood, was the launch of She-Hulk number one, and it was more for promotional uh, reasons. Now, some of his stuff was being re- reprinted, but the authors that I was chasing—Steve Englehart, Chris Claremont, Steve Gerber, Marv Wolfman, Len Wein—they were the guys doing the day and date comic book stuff. I did a recent 1975 Comic-Con episode, and there's a reason that Stan tells Marv Wolfman, who introduces him, don't go far. I need you. You have a lot of knowledge. You have a lot of wealth, because Stan was more interested in making movies and TV at that time, and had really left comics. So so just answering what maybe some of you are yelling back at me while you hear this, but Alan Moore was the biggest of all of them. The biggest rock star writer ever. And so much of what ha- what happened in the early Fantasy Force were completely taken out of Alan Moore comic books. Alan Moore, who had introduced multiple uh, uh, variants of Captain Britain prior, and then really a book that, I mean, consider the time, and this is how much weight Alan Moore's first issue of Supreme was given, was that Mark Wade, who really was not happy with me, given that I was replacing him on Captain America at the time, put out a statement that the best comic book being written in the comic book market in the comic book market at the time of Alan Moore's Supreme release was Alan Moore's Supreme. It took, it really took the critical, uh, it took the critics by storm, Alan Moore. And, and in his very first issue, he does this incredible job of, of telling you that each era of Supreme is retired to the supremacy. So the 70s, you know, era, the 80s era, the grim and gritty, you know, 90s, whatever, they've all, they never leave us. They just go and hang out in this, uh, this realm called the supremacy. Well, when for people who hadn't read the, those Supreme comics were who, and those were probably a decade old. Suddenly, ooh, multiple Reed Richards. Wow, this looks great. Yeah, I, I published that book. It was called Supreme, so it was not as impactful to me. And again, Alan Moore had done it twice already. So I understand if it was the first time you saw that. Wow, oh my gosh, you know, um, it was mind blowing. Jonathan Hickman had put in the work. Uh, really connected with this generation, this this particular this early two thousand generation of fans, and had become a darling. And as such, his services were being uh, recruited by the competition. His uh, big project that he wanted to do with DC Comics was a giant, grand reboot of the Legion of Superheroes. So, boom! Now, wait, Jonathan Hickman and I love the same thing. Uh, whether it's on social media, here on the podcast, you've heard me tell you that my favorite DC concept, DC comic book, and 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 those long boxes are kept nearby in my home so that I can access them at any time. And it was uh, basically from 1972 to, to 1987, 88, the Legion of Superheroes was the champion for me at, at, uh, at DC Comics. A huge broad uh, uh, membership of, of rich, diverse characters set in the 30th century. Superboy, Superman would come in and out, uh, l- launched in the pages of Superboy it, for many years called Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes. But then, then in the early 80s, in 1979, they, they launched them into their own their own title. They broke off. Superboy got his own book. Legion got his own book. Legion blew up. It was so popular in the 80s, they gave it two dedicated monthly titles. And at one point, I can tell you that there was five Legion books a month for uh, a season because of its popularity. And then through whatever form of audience maturity, they grew up, they, 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 they went to something else. The book, 
book definitely changed. There were there were editorial uh, decisions that changed the outlook and and the direction of the book. The, the fandom for Legion, uh, and I was there. I was part of it. It 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 cracked. It weakened for the first time in in the better part of two decades. But Jonathan Hickman loves the Legion, and he says so in his Legion proposal that he gave to DC in 2017. Now I'm not going to give you the contents of that. That's not for me to share. But DC was deep in bed with him in 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 2017, and he writes a glowing proposal. Uh, that proposal for the Legion of Superheroes had tethers into launching two other franchises. It would reboot the Green Lantern Corps, and it would reboot New Gods. Those were the end games. Now, the New Gods connection had been established in the most popular run of the Legion, alongside Paul Levitz and Keith Giffen, who who gave the Great Darkness saga, which blew fans away. It was one reveal after the after another after another. The action was fantastic. The scale was amazing. It was absolutely mind blowing, and the Great Doc- Darkness saga is heralded as one of the greatest Legion stories of all time. It involves Darkseid. It involves the New Gods. It involves all of the the great tenants of Jack Kirby's storied run that has absolutely become a classic. And part of the uh, part part of the outgrowth of what Jonathan Hickman had planned with the Legion of Superheroes was to reboot the New Gods as a as 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 a new entity, an all new series with his agenda for the New Gods, his particular. Uh, story concepts and beats again i'm not going to give that stuff away here that's not for me to share it was also a huge reboot of the green lantern concept and the green lantern core and again one of my absolute favorite like my my i have multiple copies of this book and i drew him i drew him in, in my i share sometimes the 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 stories and the, the the pictures that i was drawing in the late 70s and the early 80s in my sketch pads and i actually did did a story proposal in my brief time at DC Comics during the Hawk and Dove era for the 30th century Green Lantern named Rond Vidar. He's in this uh, time trapper uh, two-parter that Keith Giffen and Paul Levitz did in, in, in 87, 88. And I just loved their depiction of Rond Vidar, R-O-N-D-V-A-V-I-D-A-R. Rond Vidar. And, and so the 30th century Legion of Superheroes always intrigued me, but Jonathan Hickman's Legion would not only reboot the Legion of Superheroes, it would reboot New Gods, and it would reboot, reboot uh, it would reboot the Green Lantern Corps. So this was a big, all-encompassing, dated spring of 2017. That's how far back Jonathan Hickman was trying to make this happen. Now, here's my first-hand knowledge of this. I am getting on a plane, flying home from Calgary, uh, the Calgary uh, Fan Expo show in 2018. Deadpool 2 was about to open in a few weeks from then. So the buzz was huge. We were I, I, I was a featured guest at the show. I had brought my son Chase along with me. We were both being flown home. when it, They were about to close the door, and Jim Lee bolts through. He just made the flight, plops down next to me, and literally is seated next to me, and we have this you know three, three-and-a-half-hour flight home. The only kind of inside baseball that we talked— because the whole world knew that DC was talking to Jonathan Hickman. That was a something that had been talked about and was being speculated on. And when I asked Jim Lee about it, he said, Oh, that's 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 Dan's thing. That's that's Dan's obsession. That is all 
um, Dan's department. That, that, that's, that's what he is hoping to happen. He, he's, he's the guy who is trying to pull that together with Jonathan Hickman. That's 2018. House of X happens a full year later, the summer, late summer of 2019. And the proposal to DC is dated 2017. So Dan, Jonathan Hickman is dancing with this incredible reboot. Now, are there thematic crossovers? Are there thematic, um, uh, uh, do, do they share themes? The Legion reboot and the X-Men reboot? They do. To some extent, they, they really do. But the failure to secure Jonathan Hickman is the greatest uh, misstep and, and, and fail of the DiDio era, given it as someone as important as, as Jonathan Hickman was. And this would have been organic. There was a period that, that DC's biggest launches, oh man, there's going to be a Man of Steel comic coming out that, that with Zack Snyder and, and, and Christopher Nolan producing and, you know, boom, then, then, then Jim Lee is going to do a new Superman book. Oh man, there's a, there's a Suicide Squad comic book coming out. Then Jim Lee is going to draw a Suicide Squad comic. He's going to do 10 pages an issue, uh, the most he can muster given all these juggling at that time. This was kind of how DC was running. If there was a movie, they would launch a new book and they'd put big talent. And I'm not sure there was bigger talent than Jim Lee at the time at the company. So, so he was signing on each time to, to launch that rocket ship, ride some of that momentum and, and, and potentially launch a new dependable book sales wise, a juggernaut for DC. But that wasn't organic. They are just going alongside the marketing and, and the, and, and the, the, the big, movie money and marketing, you know, attention that's going to be given to each one of these. That's what connects Man of Steel, the, the, the new Superman book that Jim did, and then the Suicide Squad book. He's just, he's just lining up with the, with the movie launches and, and trying to get the most out of those. This Jonathan Hickman proposal with, Le- with Legion and New Gods and Green Lantern is completely organic. It, is, it would have been, uh, from, from the studs up, a reboot and, and completely just mired in, in comic book lore and his passion. And you can understand why Marvel didn't want to let that slip away. Presumably, and I'm going to say this three times, presumably, one more time, presumably, let's make it a fourth, presumably, there was a bidding war for Jonathan Hickman's services. Marvel didn't want to lose Jonathan Hickman and talked of rebooting the X-Men universe, which, which had slowed and was in, use of, was in need of something organic. Uh, and they made basically an offer that Jonathan Hickman could not refuse. In the meantime, you've got DC Comics trying to keep him, but at the end of the day, and I've, I've experienced this, when you lose someone on a financial bid, then you lost them because you weren't able to go higher or give more, and so eventually, it's because you failed to pull, pull the trigger and to consolidate you know, that talent. So right before I hopped on this podcast today, I was I was watching uh, my, my my ESPN and and watching the commentator uh, talk about how the Dodgers failed in their bid to get a big giant A list starting pitcher at the trade deadline, and and it talks about that that uh, that, that one player didn't want to relocate. He he likes the East Coast. He didn't want to come out. Uh, another another player was dealt somewhere else, and they couldn't get a ha- uh, uh, couldn't get a hand on him, and he was traded somewhere else. And, and then they just didn't, that the price for the other guy didn't meet what, what they ex- had expected to pay. It was a little higher. And so the Dodgers didn't get any of their candidates heading now post-trade deadline. It's expired. They made, they, they, they made an attempt 
and this isn't about Otani. That that is that is for the off season. But but it was just talking about the the immediate help that that the Dodgers could secure for their baseball club, and, and presumably your baseball club was trying to do the same thing. Everyone's trying to advance and get into a position where they can win the World Series. So when it comes to talent in comic books, it's the same thing. Uh, clearly. If you read this proposal, Jonathan Hickman has nothing but the most love and adoration for the Legion franchise, and it extends to the rest of the DC universe with his uh, revision, kind of a, a new take on Green Lantern, which post, you know, Blackest Night had had dimmed, and, and I mean, this is now six years past the Green Lantern peak, the the the, the early two thousands glory days, which found again Jeff Johns tapping into an Alan Moore short story which is where the rainbow or, or what we call the emotional spectrum lanterns came from. I mean, Alan Moore doing everybody, I mean, just just literally seeding the entire comics industry. But but Jonathan Hickman is 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 taking a big swing in his Legion proposal with the Green Lanterns and then obviously the New Gods. And the New Gods already have, as I told you, a tether directly into the Legion of Superheroes. Well, whatever happened, and I, I don't know what happened. I don't know... What opportunities? I don't know what financial considerations went into it. It just didn't happen. And, and I'm going to tell you, the thing that shocked me was if for some reason it was because Mr. DiDio couldn't clear what was going on with the Green Lantern people or the New God people, then that's insane because he hired me and gave me my job on Deathstroke and Hawkman and Grifter without letting those other teams go at the time. I, I'm, I'm telling you, uh, I, I went out to a steakhouse near near Burbank with DiDio after he had basically completed my negotiations. Then over the lunch, and our, you know, this is why I'm driving up from Orange County to Burbank to talk to him. He says, "Well, I like what I hear. I have the he had the writer of one of those franchises that he was meeting with his afternoon meeting, his first meeting after he returned from the steakhouse, and he goes, I'm gonna have to let him go. I'm gonna have to go inform him. And it was very much like this could have gone either way." Maybe if I don't say what I say at lunch, I'm not moving forward on one of these books. But he said, I've got fill in the blank waiting for me and I'm going to inform them that they are no longer doing this book. And I'm like, well, so I see how this guy operates. So just in case on the on the offshoot notion that that, that because the Legion reboot went into the Green Lantern into the New God space, but and, and they would have been aggressive. They were, especially the Green Lantern stuff, would have required possibly letting other people know. Well, the guy that I know that I dealt with would have just said, this is happening, deal with it. So it, it, it's hard for me to believe that it was somehow because Legion expanded into other franchises and other reboots that would have been under Jonathan Hickman's purview. Whatever the case, whatever the dollars, the opportunities, the intangibles, it didn't go DC's way. He ends up at X-Men and the House of X happens. Now, does We're Your New Gods Now have a different ring in your ears? Does it, does it, does it mean something different? Because boy, oh boy, when I read it, I was like, oh man, this packs a punch. Magneto, head over his shoulder, informing the humans in no uncertain terms. Because he says, I, I finally get to say it. I wanted to say it. You have new gods now. You have new gods now. Immediately, that 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 brings about Jack Kirby and all that he's done. But did you know that that the Legion 
reboot that he was being courted by, that he was submitting in, in 2017, that he was in constant talks. And from what I understand, and, and this is hearsay, uh, so, so this is just from, from what I have heard, it was a difficult decision. It was a difficult decision. But there were big asks that were being made of DC and and perhaps those same big asks that were being made of uh, of Marvel, they just came through it. They didn't want to lose Jonathan Hickman to the competition and ultimately that falls on DC's failure to make it happen. Failure to go all in, put it all in on the table. I believe had they gone all in on this Legion, New Gods, uh, Green Lantern Corps, and the Omega Men were e- even going to be touched on the way out the door. Uh, the Omega Men franchise was going to be touched by Jonathan Hickman. That is DC's failure. That is DiDio's failure. He was at the top. He didn't uh, put the hook, you know, through that fish and get it on board and secure it. And 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 Marvel did. And so we got mutants that now informed everyone. And throughout House of X number one, you know, they are kind of threatening and intimidating and implying the power that they possess. And they're not going to be anybody's, you know, doormats anymore. They're not going to be kicked around. They're going to be the new power. They're the new authority. And whether it's Cyclops telling the Fantastic Four, like watch your step, and basically demanding the return of Sabretooth to them, or or it was uh, them, I mean, literally, I, I mean, literally, the, 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 these, these mutants throughout this first issue are exerting a greater authority, and by the end of the first issue, you are, are very well informed that this is most certainly not going to be the hated and feared by those they've sworn to protect. They are now asserting themselves and Magneto informs us, the audience, as well as the ambassador and the other delegates that he is speaking directly to, that we, you have new gods now. Gods, gods, okay? And and basically, Marvel, the Marvel universe of characters was put on notice. We as fans were put on notice. This journey is one that many were eager to take. Let, 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 let the... Uh, let the record reflect House of X number one. I believe I went back and counted. I got 28 covers. They launched House of X with 28 covers. Marvel believed in this. They leaned all the way into it. They they wanted to make sure that it was incentivized up the wazoo. This was their big summer release and it happened. And now it's 20, 23, and the fall of X is happening. And the, the new ads um, that were being released... In, in in right around San Diego, the new advertisements that were being released, that were being teased, that I saw banners of, that I saw blurbs of, uh, <clears throat> there was a teaser. And the teaser, and I'm going to end this episode with, <clears throat> you know, it was basically just because, uh, it, it said just because, you know, uh, Krakoa has fallen doesn't mean the X-Men have. And it says, who are the new X-Men coming 2024? Who are the new X-Men? And again, just because Krakoa has fallen, you know, doesn't mean the X-Men have. So so you go, okay, so so Krakoa is fallen. Then we, we get to the latest, the 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 latest release, this Fall of X special, the it's called the uh, the Hellfire Gala. This one shot that shook everybody up last week. It shook everybody up. This is setting the stage. This is the exit. This is 
the exit uh, from 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 this era, this this uh, <clears throat> this this new fall of X storyline. And we're going to dive deeper into that, but we set the table. We took an entire episode to set the table, maybe give you a couple of uh, stories that you didn't know, kind of uh, go get all in and, and describe. And I'm just going to tell you again why I did not interface with this uh, as much as I could have, because certainly there was a bunch of titles and Marvel did go all in on the Krakoa era, but I am thrilled it's coming to an end. I am thrilled for what's next. And we're going to discuss that and why I just believe conceptually, because I thought... Like you have new gods now was was the the end all be all and 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 the resurrection protocols which we haven't really even gotten into yet, but the new forms I mean that's just scratching the surface because because they even <laughs> I took a break and came back two years later and I'm like wait what the X Men have a planet now they have a planet and with that we look forward to discussing more of this as fall of x part two will resume in our very next episode thank you as always for listening and being such an incredible audience and uh and and, and going along this journey with me you, you, we, we ping pong all around sometimes we're in the bronze age the modern age we're in the 90s we're, we're in the 70s the 80s you know uh, I, we, we just love to, to to jump around here but fall of x has me excited. The new X-Men has me excited. And discussing now, I waited. I waited until this was over. I waited until the Krakoa age was over. And I cannot believe we are living in, in, we are moving through this period where now the Krakoa age is indeed, you know, wrapping up. Now, do I believe it's going to, will there be tenants that continue? That's what we are all going to have to, you know, find out collectively together. That's the excitement of a Marvel comic. But I'm going to tell you right now, uh, I read your reviews and your positive uh, thoughts and your well wishes that you leave each and every episode. And I'm not going to, I am uh, not going to, to leave, I'm going to leave no review behind, leave no review behind. Okay. Uh, and, 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 and with that in mind, today's review is, 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 uh, look, who doesn't love a glowing review? Okay, show me somebody who doesn't love a glowing review. It's nice when people tell you, uh, you know, how much they are they are digging your work. And with that in mind, I am going to share with you today's <laughs> today's very generous review. Today's review comes from Jay Newcomb Art, and and he was uh, very generous. He says, "Rob, man, where do I begin?" I love the podcast. It has reinvigorated my love of comics and all the info as a young kid in the late 80s into the 90s, all the Bronze Age and beyond. The stories are great and wonderful and what you have done is beyond words. Thank you for the podcast and the comics and the artwork I was able to deep dive my nose into as a kid. Good health to you and your family. Jay, thank you for that amazing review. Thank you for that incredible support of our show whenever you guys... Again, take to the keyboards and type something out. Give us a high rating, five stars, whatever. I read it here. I, I share your, um, it's, it's, it's having fan mails. It's the mail grab bag. I read them out loud. I cannot thank you enough, Jay, for expressing this. As far as uh, this show and, and, and reaching me more directly, social media, I'm all over it. 
This is where I tell you how to reach me on Twitter. I am Robert Liefeld, R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D, Robert Liefeld. I have a blue check. It's back. I'm not sure how it came back to haunt me again, but it tells you that I am the real deal. Holyfield, I am legit. This is not a fake account. Robert Liefeld on Twitter. I would love to hear from you over there. I love your mentions, your reactions, your replies, your DMs. I, I read them all. Thank you so very much. On Instagram, I am at Rob Liefeld, just simple. I, I won my own name because I was on early. Rob Liefeld, another blue check, tells you it's really me. I show photos of my work, my food, where I'm going, the people I've I'm, I've been with, my friends, my family. It's uh, my my crazy uh, photo dump of my life. I would love to interact with you there. I, again, I read your your replies, your mentions, your DMs, all of it. Thank you for inter- interacting with me on Instagram at Rob Liefeld. We have a Facebook group. I would love for you to be part of. It's called Rob Liefeld Marvel extreme and beyond. It covers so many of the bases of my career, so many of the conversations that we have here. Continue there. Would love to talk to you, chat you up uh, on on my Facebook group. It's a group either myself or Terry Sala will um, click you through once you submit your name. It's a, it's a uh, the public can see it, but it's private. So you got to go through the submission process. Check us out. Rob Liefeld, Marvel, Extreme and Beyond. We have art contests. We have so many talented people in that group. Just a whole lot of fun and enjoy, invite you to join the party over on our group on Facebook. I am on Whatnot. I am currently uh, dialing back some of my Whatnot appearances, but Whatnot is just the best place to reach me. I, I have very much slowed down my uh, convention and store signings. I've only gone out of state once in the last year, and that is to New York City, which is where I will re- be returning. But as far as, it ag- as aggressively traveling, um, that is behind me for now. It has now been two years since I have been uh, really getting out there and and, and, and getting out across the, co- the country or even going overseas for shows. I, 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 I have my books, my signatures, my artwork, my toys, Funko Pops, all of that stuff that I don't even carry on the road with me. We offer through the WhatNot app and we have a great rating because we've earned it. We get your merchandise to you. We get it fast. We get it in good condition. Again, we have a high rating uh, on, on the WhatNot app. Download it. It's the place to be for collectibles, comics, cards, for, for sports uh, paraphernalia and memorabilia. So hit me up. Follow me, Rob Liefeld, on whatnot. You'll see when I go live. I generally go live between two to three hours. I'm talking right at you in the screen. Uh, you guys talk back to me. We have a great, amazing community. And again, I am able to share with you, I mean, all manner of comics. I've signed Hawk and Dubs, New Mutants, Captain America's Avengers, Snake Eyes, all this stuff. It's not just what's coming out now, but I do have several exclusives with whatnot. I have six, no less than six Deadpool Batter Blood uh, number one exclusives. Uh, we did a New Mutants 98 facsimile exclusive. We did an Amazing Spider-Man exclusive. We have got Brigade exclusives. I have my own exclusives that I offer on that show with Prophet and Evangeline and Blood Wolf and so many others from my Extreme Catal- uh, Extreme Studios catalog, which I am so proud. So join us on Whatnot. Um, I think you'll 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 kind of dig it. It's it's a semi extension given all the talking and the ideas that are shared uh, on this podcast. People tell me it's like a a a grungier because <laughs> I'm grumpy. Also grumpy, a grumpier version of this podcast. I'm shiny and happy in the morning when I'm bringing this to you, but uh, it's a, a little bit of a grungier version of me that you get because it's later at night. So whatnot, follow me there. Hope to see you. Hope very much that you are doing well, your mental health, your physical health, your spiritual health, and your emotional well-being are so important to you and to me. I am rooting for you. I, I know life is a grind. It can get crazy. It can get out of hand. There's burdens. There's problems. Uh, there's bills. All that stuff that comes up and we have to navigate through it. And we can do it together. And just know that I am rooting for you. And also, uh, my, my one statement that I always say is take a break. 
uh, to, to just, just feel free to take a break, step back, relax, catch your breath, have a great meal, have a great comic, have a great comic like you're eating it, experience a great comic, a great book, a great streaming show, get to the movies. I went back to the movies six times in, in July. It was great. It was the first time in years that I felt like my my addiction to movie theaters, my routine, um, my familiarity, I was getting back into the groove. I really loved it. I'm not sure how many, how many times I'm going to go in August. It really is dependent dependent on the movies. I actually went nine times, but I saw six movies. But Mission Impossible, I saw three times. So that, that's where I get to nine. But you guys, I, I take my own advice. Um, and and I, I read comics. I read novels. I, I listen to music. I, I go out with my friends and family. I eat good food. Yes, I am going to mention the Reese's Peanut Butter uh, Big Cup. Of course I am. I, I'm not going to push it per se, but I am going to mention it. It is a particular slice of paradise for me. And uh, maybe that is for you, an In-N-Out hamburger, a Shake Shack, uh, 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 Hop Dotties, uh, the, 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 the Five Guys, The Habit, whatever. Yeah, I'm into burgers. I'm also into all those fried chicken sandwiches, Clyde's. Have you, have you had Clyde's? Oh, my gosh. Okay, that is a conversation for another time. You should listen to my Fast Food and Comics episode. It kind of combines all these loves. Anyway, power to you. Shout out to you. Hoping all the best for you. Please do you right. And, 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 and when you have to put yourself and make yourself a priority, do it. Get your rest. Get your inspiration. We're rooting from you right here at this show. Please come back. Please circle back. I am going to be here. We most certainly, absolutely, inevitably, we'll talk again real soon.